0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So, today Jess and I are going to be sharing our journeys with food freedom. But the crux of this episode is actually talking about diet culture and what it is, what dieting does to our relationship with food and our body. Um, We also dig into why diets don't work and basically what the science says why cutting out food groups and following any kind of restrictive diet um, can be detrimental to our health. Something that I've also you know, experienced online are things like orthorexia, food phobias, fear-mongering. So we'll be diving into that and then just rounding off the episode with how to move forward from diet culture into food freedom and body kindness. So without further ado, let's start today's episode. I really hope you enjoy it and yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Bye.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have such a juicy episode, it might end up being too, we don't know, (laughs) but today we're going to be talking about diet culture and fat diets. We're going to be sharing our stories and we're going to be highlighting a few topics. So, going to be good. Um, Jess is obviously here in the studio, as always, and she will be, you know, facilitating in the the advice, Um, but we're going to start with our stories first. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a good grounding um, start. So I'll start with mine um, and my, I guess, story with food freedom. Um, So growing up, um, I didn't really even think of anything regarding food. I mean, I grew up in a very humble household where my breakfast was those six-pack cereals, you know, when you could choose which one, and I would always go with strawberry pots first. Were the best. <laughs> why aren't they back? Like, why have they not brought them back? Um, and sometimes special K bars, because it was easy. We left real early. I lived in Simonstown, and my school's always been, like, an hour away. No matter where I've lived, my parents have found, found a school that was further. Um my lunches were always just like Samis, maybe a fruit. The sandwiches were pink, like peanut butter sort of vibes, and um, a lot of ready made dinners because that's what my parents could afford. But mm-hmm. I didn't really think of anything, and they never highlighted anything. Um, I would say that, like, most of my youth was just filled with yumminess. I never thought about food anything other than it was delicious. Um, And then it got to high school, which I think is a pivotal point for most women. And I'm not too sure exactly why. I don't know if it's just because there are many changes during that time. Um, But I started to just be very aware of my physical self. And um, I had a lot of external influences that would say, well, we eat this and we do this and they looked so skinny and beautiful, which was, in my mind, beautiful then. Mm -hmm. So I started to tailor my diet a little bit, and um, yeah, I started to end up having a bit of an unhealthy relationship with food, and with exercise. However, my environment was encouraging of it, so I didn't think it was bad then, until I um, actually passed out. My sister found me in the bedroom, because I had such a low weight and such a low heart rate and I had to be hospitalised. Sure. Which I actually have never shared. Um, How old were you? I was 16. Which I feel like, again, is quite an age for most girls to move through something like this if they do, if they, they maybe don't have um, eyes on them or a good influence on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got to basically having my sister to ask me to never do that again because she was so scared that it kind of hit me and I had to read. so moving out of high school I'd say the whole of high school I didn't have particularly a good relationship with food but I wasn't aware that I didn't I was also keeping myself very busy so I wasn't aware um college I would say kind of went back to normal. I was in a different environment I was surrounded by more men mm-hmm. um, I was in an all school in high school and I think that balanced out a lot of just my environment which included food and my activities and interests and stuff um, then I went into work and then I found myself on social media which then soon came into one of I'd say like my third year of working and um, I joined a movement The Bikini Body Guide by Kayla Edson. and um, I think that was quite intense for a lot of girls who started it but it definitely piqued my interest in my qualification so I have gratitude towards it for that um, but it definitely pushed me to like exercise too much and be far too aware of what was on every plate mm-hmm. um, just because I was so driven by the before and after photo which I think a lot of people were and mm-hmm. um, I ended up actually quitting my job and going to study personal training and nutrition and slowly started to build a better relationship with it because I was educating myself now. However, I still feel like over-education can sometimes play a part, and then I fell back into a cycle of maybe over-analyzing food, and that kind of got um, magnified by social media, um, And I would say now I've moved back into a very healthy relationship with food post-diagnosis of Hashimoto's because I've now understood that skinny is not healthy. And at the end of the day, we only have one body and I really want to love it a lot. And um, that comes with being a little bit more gentle in movement and a little bit more um, encouraging with plate sizes, to to use my words wisely here. So I would say that's my story in a very quick nutshell.
2: Can I ask you about like I've always been interested in, I guess the diet philosophies of personal trainers because it just seems like the like fitness culture in general is obviously in a way obsessed with like over exercising. Taking lots of supplements, eating super high protein diets, like how did that affect, like just studying fitness and being qualified in fitness and being in that like culture? How did yeah, that affect that, like, your? Fitness yeah.
1: Experience. So I would say the first year it affected me in the sense that I just was very intrigued and I wanted to see if it worked in inverted commas for me. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of girls around me eating like tons of protein, like everything had protein. Protein was like the word in first year which I did, and I over-exercised a lot. Um, I don't want to say how much because I don't want to give ideas Mm -hmm. out. Um, But I definitely pushed the limit, and I got severely injured um, from all the exercising part. But I always felt like a little bit of an outsider in the fitness world because I'm naturally not prone to build muscle easily. So I always felt kind of like I wasn't going to be the best personal trainer because I never looked like it. I've never been very muscular. I've always been very small and petite mm-hmm. and no matter how much I pushed myself even to the verge of like getting um, I had oh, I can't believe I forgot the word now. Literally I lost my arm for like nine months, thoracic, thoracic outlet syndrome. Oh, wow. So I damaged the nerve compression basically in my right arm that I couldn't even write my my final exam because I was over exercising so much. Um, to just look the part mm-hmm. because it, it is exactly that it's a very um, aesthetic yeah. profession and I think it's a very judgmental one not just on yourself but how people see you, they go oh you look like you would be a good personal yeah. trainer, not necessarily by your education but by your physique Yeah. and I always felt out of place um, so I never actually continued it because I got injured in the first year yeah. and I realised that I would never be that personal trainer, that my uh, specialties and my qualification would most likely lead to more of a therapeutic sort of personal training, which mm-hmm. is what I do now. So all of my clients either have RA or PCOS, or they're just you know really run down, and everything's slower, and it's more mindful, and it's about understanding the mind-body connection more so than big bum, small waist. So I think I ended my bum in the butter literally, um, in a much Sustainable, a much more sustainable way of being a PT to mm-hmm. my clients, yeah. But it's a weird space because it is glorified um, to have that sort of way of eating. But I did it for like a year, okay. and it just didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> it just didn't work.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, scientifically, it doesn't work. You know, <laughs> it's not surprising to me, but I guess if you do anything to the extreme. Yeah. You yes. sometimes, I mean, you sometimes look good, but are you healthy on the inside, you know?
1: More times, no. <laughs> I mean, I even did the pre workout thing, and that was wild. I think I did it for maybe two weeks, and I was like, I couldn't do it. I was on the train more like scratching my ears and like feeling like I was literally on drugs or something, mm-hmm. which I, I'm assuming I probably was Just to some degree. Yeah. And I was like, no one should be this pumped walking on a treadmill at five. Yeah. <laughs> this is not healthy. Um, so I, I definitely ex- was exposed to a lot of like the fitness, um, what would you even call it?
2: Culture. Culture, yeah. that's the word.
1: But I kind of knew that I was never going to be part of it.
2: So I guess, do you think dieting like damaged you physically? I mean, we spoke a little bit in the last episode about... Hashimoto's and how Eating more calories was important for you To get better So yeah, what physical effect Did it have on your body, like I guess From the age of like 15 or 16 To now, that's quite A long history of like ups and downs With with maybe calorie Restriction and things like that
1: So I think From the Mm -hmm. diet
2: Perspective the biggest one would be
1: just my relationship with food, and it's something I'm still working on however I'm proud of the progress that I've definitely made but it can be very encouraging of um, eating disorders I have been experienced or like exposed to so that's just my personal experience I'm not saying everyone Mm -hmm. Um, I've definitely had to deal with a lot of deficiencies um Um, nutritional deficiencies which we spoke about like in the previous episode can lead to illnesses which I do believe even though I could hereditary have been prone to Hashimoto's the restriction of calories and the over exercising definitely encouraged it Mm -hmm. and I believe that definitely played a part to where I'm at now with my health but I think the biggest thing for anyone who goes through any form of dieting and restricting, it's the mental game and the mental recovery more than the physical one. Mm-hmm. And I feel as soon as I started to do the work on the mental self, the physical self kind of followed suit. Yeah,
2: for sure. That was actually my next question is like, how do you think it, it damaged you like emotionally or spiritually? Like, how's it made you the person you are today? Like having that history, <laughs>
1: It makes me very hyper-aware of it around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know, it's such, a, it's such a deep, it's quite a deep question actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, the choices we make ultimately lead us to where we are, so we have to take accountability of the choices we've made. And I've always had an interest in nutrition and fitness because I was never exposed to it when I was younger. So I just found it interesting because it was something I wanted to learn. And I always feel like you study what you want to learn and you Mm -hmm. teach what you want to understand. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where I found myself in it. And then when I was in it, I was then exposed to the darker side of it, which, I mean, there's always a shadow side to things. So maybe it's more that I had to learn lessons really hard, which is just in my nature naturally. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I answered that if I walked around that.
2: I guess it's like... (laughs) I'm like, wait, where did I start with this? It's your story, though. It's like part of who you are. You don't want to take any of it back. Yeah. It's just made you who you are today.
1: I think the best part about going through everything that I've been through, even though it wasn't... like. Let's just put it in a nutshell, I definitely over I had a bad relationship and a disordered way of eating, but now I can see it for what it is, and I can either help people and help myself with it, which is a gift in itself. So I think mm-hmm. that would be my answer, is that I've definitely experienced it, but I am glad I did, so now that I can help. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: What was, like, the turning point for you when you realised, like, things need to change or you need to work on your relationship with food
1: I think the the catalyst will always be knowing that I got Hashimoto's or that I got diagnosed with Mm -hmm. it or prognosed I'm like I really want to accept it Um, and then when I started to understand and do what was best for me and my body and my situation and then I saw the benefits of it I had more energy I was nicer to be around I could get more work done I was a better partner a lover a friend Um, work started coming in more, I could accept more work, then I was getting more fulfilled by myself and, like, the things that I was capable of, all because I just stopped focusing on a very ego-driven way of being, which was what I looked like, essentially. I could give so much more when I let go of what I thought I needed to look like.
2: What made you, though, like, I guess so many people get diagnosed with health conditions and it makes them even more restrictive like what made you realise like oh for to get better I actually need to like calm down you know
1: <laughs> I don't think I had a choice yeah. like I, I physically was on a couch for three months yeah. and I had my whole life and my whole future literally ripped out of my like sight yeah. I was at a stage where I was my fittest I was getting so much work done I was like projects were lining up and up I was getting this podcast out I was starting my fit lab my ebook my app um, uh, my social media had like started getting quite high I had built this community and everything was falling into place and then all of a sudden my health got ripped out and all I could do was breathe and brush my teeth on a couch for three months and when I realised that if I didn't look after myself I was never going to have that life again mm-hmm. it was kind of like well, is it worth it? like is it really worth it? because if you are working so hard for all these things you're not going to be able to get it if you can't even like get off the couch. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like my health made me stop. I had no choice. I would either well, I guess I did have a choice. Either I could stay on the couch or I could continue yeah. living. And I chose to just live and stay. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I guess I like, sometimes when you have a health scare, it really makes you realize what's important in life. And yeah. like you don't care as much about your weight, you just care about being healthy and functioning.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, that was just the start. Yeah. That was maybe two years ago, not even a year and a half ago. After that, I had my puppy pass. Then my dad passed away, and now we're in lockdown. So I'm in lockdown too, because I put myself in lockdown last year. Mm-hmm. And um, when you realize that every every day something could be completely taken away from you, it's just not that important anymore. Mm-hmm. There's just so much more to live for. But I think everyone has to learn and accept that journey in their own time. Um, But it was kind of like a one-off the other for me. And I just got lots of wake-up calls really quickly. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So, I guess, like, where are you now in terms of your relationship with food? Like, do you consider yourself, like, healed? I don't... I mean, in my (laughs) opinion, like, there's no such thing. But... (laughs) You kind of heal yourself. what no, I'm doing.
1: Um, I, I love the fact that I get excited about a meal. Yeah. I like the fact that I don't feel like I need to overanalyze it. I love that I can just let my partner cook for me and I think nothing of it, But besides the fact that I don't have to cook. Mm-hmm. That's so nice. Um, I really do believe that I'm in a state of um, peace with the way that I move and the way that I eat definitely have days of guilt and shame, but with therapy I understand that that guilt and shame is not actually around food, Mm -hmm. and it's not around movement, it's Mm -hmm. actually deeply rooted, and when I can understand that, and then I can ask myself, okay, but what are you actually worried about? Mm -hmm. Because I think what's on your plate, Mm -hmm. it's something else. Um, That's when I realise that I'm, I'm really growing, and that excites me, yeah. And exercise? exercise I still have a bit of like a weird relationship with because for me it's therapy Mm-mm. to like go for a walk sometimes I have to be like okay but I do I want to walk for the right reason Yeah, even I know it's a walk but still the intention behind it needs to sometimes just be assessed not every time but no. if you're tired and you need to sleep don't go for a walk if you think you need to go for a walk sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to do nothing but um definitely like my fitness is so different now. Um, I used to do, like, hour head classes on treadmills five times a week while doing my other training, while instructing, like, not this. Yeah. No one should have been operating at that level. Um, so now I'm very at peace with how I move and, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: I have, like, a kind of triggering question maybe, but it's something I always ask my patients. It's like, do you still weigh yourself?
1: no. So we have a scale, but the scale's for the dogs. Okay. <laughs> we had to get it for lockdown to weigh them to make sure that they weren't because sometimes people ask me because they see it in yeah. my in my stories. I'm like, I should probably pack that away, but like I don't even think about it. We have mm-hmm. a scale, but it's for the dogs, and yeah. Luke actually weighs them. So he okay. picks them up and he goes on it. Yeah. The only time I weigh myself is when I have to go before my blood tests, and you can actually ask the practitioner to take it down for you and Mm -hmm. you don't look at it Mm -hmm. so it's always an option if you feel like you can't trust your thoughts
2: has it been like hard to let go of that like just hard to like not know what your weight is and not have control over it i mean i'm sure it
1: was for me for some reason it wasn't so for me it's (laughs) more how my clothes fit so I guess for me, my hardest thing was letting go of the clothes that I knew were my small size, Mm -hmm. but I had to let them go, because otherwise that was my measuring tool. Um, So I gave them away, it was the best thing I could have done. Also, you get a brand new wardrobe, you can go to a thrift store, you don't have to get like brand, brand new stuff, and that's exciting, because it feels like a new new start, and it's Mm -hmm. um, like a new... I'll just leave it with that um, But the scale thing for me I never actually had a scale growing up So it wasn't something that I was Kind of It wasn't difficult for me to let go Because I never actually had one My parents just didn't have one growing up mm-hmm. But yeah that's basically my story In a very quick nutshell Because I know that we have a lot to cover today So let's get on to yours
2: <laughs> You can share your story So yeah my story is actually So different But I guess, like, everyone's... But that's what's so nice about this conversation, is, like, having completely different perspectives. Like, I actually grew up... Well, my mom was very health-conscious, so we never were allowed, like... We never had cool drinks, we never had white bread, we never had sweets or... I don't know, like, yeah, I guess there was, like, cocoa puffs for, like, weekends and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was like nineties healthy. Oh right. <laughs> like, I think the things that they considered healthy in those days wouldn't fly these days. But um, yeah, she was quite health conscious, and we it was quite strict at home. Like the way we ate was strict, and my mom was also always weight conscious. Like she was always dieting and stuff. And when I was like, I think from the age of like seven, I started like filling out a bit. I don't think I was ever overweight but my mom was worried about my weight like she was worried that I was like getting chubby you know so I remember clearly like kind of feeling restricted by my mom like it would be like I used to get two sandwiches for school and then I only got one sandwich for school and when I got home from school I had to eat a salad and And I, I was always a healthy eater like I loved salad and vegetables so like if someone fed me a salad I would eat it not a problem um but I remember that feeling of being like... Something's changed. Yeah, like, I'm I'm the chubby kid. Like, I'm not allowed the things that other kids are allowed. Like, even my brother was allowed, like, all these things, and I wasn't. And, That's of um, hard. Yeah, it was horrible. And I'm very passionate about, like, teaching parents. Like, when people come to me and they're like, my kid's a bit overweight. And I'm like, listen, you've got to make this a family thing. It's not like one kid gets treated differently yeah. to everyone else. Um, when we went to restaurants like like that was the time when we would have like cool drinks and chips and stuff like that and my brother could like order whatever he wanted and I wasn't allowed to and like that's intense it's crazy <laughs> and I don't like to tell this story I guess because I don't want to like you don't want to shame yeah like I don't want yeah. to make my mom seem like the bad person but I guess like all women are so like broken when it comes to weight and diet that these are things we can put onto our daughters and we all have to be aware of it like she's not the only mother in the world that's ever done this to her daughter you know
1: I mean sorry to interject but just on the mom front my mom never restricted and never commented however she did on herself Mm-hmm. And when you see the language that your mother, you, your mother, she, what she says to, about herself, and you see that if you have your mother on a pedestal when you're young, that gets ingrained in you, and then you start questioning yourself as well. You're like, well, if my mom thinks that about herself, what do I think about myself? Mm-hmm. What does she think about me? Yeah. Like, you have to be so careful with the language you use around your kids. Sure. And I don't have kids, so I don't want to be like, you should be doing this. But as a child to someone, yeah, it's something
2: to be aware of exactly sorry carry on no so i guess um that was the the situation and then like around about the age of 11 my mom actually took me to a nutritionist um she wasn't a like a qualified dietitian she was a nutritionist which is like what she did is she like gave us a diet like she just it was like a printout of like this is what's for breakfast lunch supper And my mom was like, we'll do it together. And she, like, made me all excited about it. And I was like, you know, at 11, you are becoming kind of body conscious. Like, your body's starting to change and you're kind of starting to go through puberty. And, like, you're starting to compare yourself to people yeah. around you. And I think, like, I just wanted to fit in. And, like, I had become so body conscious from, like, since the age of 7. Like, I was so self-conscious by the age of 11. Like, I remember, like going to like birthday parties on the beach and I didn't want to put my costume on and like wearing like little like board shorts in the water and stuff. Um, So like, I feel like I lost out on that like freedom of childhood of just Mm -hmm. like enjoying being a kid and not being body conscious. Um, And yeah, so I did that like diet when I was 11. I think I lost a lot of weight. Um, But There was a goal because it was like my bat mitzvah coming up when I was 12 so my mom was like yeah you gotta look good for your bat mitzvah photos and stuff so we did this like diet I don't know how long it was for it was for a few months and it was very restrictive it was like tuna salad and rice cakes and like oh, no. whole bran flakes and fat free milk like those sorts of oh, things in the 90s yeah, yeah. <laughs> fat free <laughs> fat free cottage cheese and rice cakes Cute. you know and <laughs> all that kind of stuff um, and I really didn't mind it like I I've always loved like healthy food so I don't remember, like, hating it or feeling... Um, I don't remember, like, craving anything. I just remember, like, how it affected, like, how I saw myself, you know? Yeah. And how I interacted socially because it wasn't like any other girls were on diet or anyone was talking... Like, it only became normal to talk about dieting when you were, like, 14, 15, you know? So I felt like I was the only like one of my peers that was even aware like I definitely felt like a huge outcast because of it um and it was a huge secret for me like I didn't want anyone to know um so there was always like this shame around it and then I think like that just continued into my teens like I think I was just on and off diets um to and from dietitians. I actually went through like a rebellious phase where I was like I think I was, like, 14, and I just, like, ate whatever I wanted and gained a lot of weight, and my mom was really upset about it, and I, like, enjoyed that. (laughs) Until she, like, she, like, eventually, I think eventually I started getting bullied, actually, about my weight, and then I went to her, and I was like, okay, no, I need to do something now. I need to, like, go to a dietitian or something, and then she helped me. She took me to a dietitian, Followed a diet, and that's just how it was. Like, throughout, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: And they weren't like, I don't think they were like, I was never underweight, I was always like more on the overweight side of things, or like, I was either, I guess, like a little bit overweight, or and I don't think I was ever actually badly overweight either. I just want to put that out there. Like, this was all in my head that I mm-hmm. felt so big, you know. Um, Because I've looked at pictures and I'm like, I was a normal kid. It was just in my head. But I was definitely either maybe overweight or like just a healthy weight, but more on the like bigger side. Um, I'm definitely not like a petite person. And I just couldn't accept that. Like when all the other girls seemed so small and petite. And um, yeah, so I guess that's the way it went. And then like studying dietetics was actually hugely healing for me because i i thought i was like studying a degree on like how to diet how to lose weight how to you know how help people manage their weight and it actually is not about that like it's so scientific and we just learned like anatomy and physiology and biochemistry and all those sorts of things and it actually just took me out of like that obsession and made me realize like how important being well nourished is like I really started to to focus on nourishment as opposed to like weight loss all the time like I was more concerned with like oh am I eating enough of my vitamins and iron and those sorts of things and
1: the goodness
2: yeah and I must say like everyone that I came across in my degree like all my friends that I was studying with and all my lecturers had such a like healthy relationship with food um and I think in general dietitians are pretty healthy with how they like relate to food just because it's very scientific
1: I also find it interesting um how I mean I also I and I, I struggle to, to identify if that is the case because I feel like every girl goes through, um, and I say girl only based on experience, I'm sure men have gone through mm-hmm. the same or anyone who identifies as a woman. Um, but I, I find that those who are very interested in uh, or have been exposed to dieting to some degree end up in a field that it for sure. Like, For as a sure. personal trainer, nutritionist, dietitian, like, yeah. I just find it very interesting, but also, it, like you said, it's so healing. Yeah. Because good. once you have the knowledge of understanding that it's not about just losing weight, there's so much more to it, there's so much more substance, you can actually let go of it and mm-hmm. be like, oh, yeah, cool, great, I'm healthy, like, that's something so cool to, like, focus on.
2: We actually had, like, this discussion, like, so when I first started working as a dietitian, I was working in a, in a department, um, in a big hospital and our department had 18 dietitians and we all had like our own little food things like everyone was always like you know watching what they eat trying to lose weight then eating too much cake like the normal stuff <laughs> but um like there was one day where we all had this discussion and we were like all dietitians like there's a reason we became dietitians there's there's a reason we chose to study this and it's usually because, in some way, we're a bit messed up about food. <laughs> um, or not necessarily, I guess. Or we've been
1: exposed to someone who maybe had like a yeah. scare or something yeah. along the lines. You know, a lot
2: of diabetics also become dietitians because, yeah. like, like type 1 diabetics, so they've been diabetic since they were kids and they've been seeing dietitians since they were kids. And it's not. To do with like body image, it's just to do with like they really appreciate the science of what a difference you know nutrition can make. So it's like almost just your exposure to something,
1: yeah, and builds an interest. And it just I just found it very fascinating yeah. that it happens more often than not for sure. And how would you say your relationship has been with food freedom since, <laughs> since uh, you've now become a dietitian?
2: so I guess like it, it's it been up and down I guess while I was studying it was healing for me and it was also like it separated me from like the controlling aspect of my mom controlling my weight and my eating because I was like I'm qualified to do this now like I was yeah. on my own um and I actually gained a lot of weight which I think for me was just part of like me letting go of restriction and for the first time in my life when I was in varsity like like I grew up being so strict about food that I'd like never eaten certain things like I've never eaten KFC to this day really (laughs) never there are just certain things I've never eaten but for the first time in varsity I started being like I wanna try McDonald's. Like I wanna yeah, yeah, yeah. have a milkshake. Like I, I'd never done any of that. Um, I'd never had like white bread. Like there were just things that I'd never had and I went through all of it. Like I just allowed myself to eat everything. Oh, that's beautiful. Like that is a very healing yeah. through really food. And I gained a lot of weight, but that was like it's part of like what you have to do <laughs> to heal. Have you watched Stephanie Buttermore? No
1: highly suggested, she's documented, so she comes from a scientific background, she's actually um, a qualified scientist in finding a cure for cancer, or something along those lines, Um, and she has documented her all-in journey, which sounds something to the degree of what you're explaining, how she allowed herself to eat to full satiety, no matter what that calorie was, each day, until, and she gained a lot of weight coming from a bodybuilder background mm-hmm. and um, her body now after a year is completely normalized and it's just so it was so beautiful to watch it because it, there were so many scary moments for her to mm-hmm. face as an individual in her journey and then coming out of it going now I have this amazing relationship with food and I just had to go all in like I just had to eat it all yeah do it all allow it all accept it all and now I'm at peace with everything
2: yeah, um, Which sounds kind of like what you
1: did, which is really Pretty cool. much.
2: I didn't know I was doing it. I was just like, I never got to do this. I wanted to, like, but I had you, freedom yeah. for the first yeah. time. Um, I was also living away from home for the first time. So I was just, like, eating, like, I still ate healthy at home. But I was just, like, having all the other things on top of that. And then I did get really unhappy in my own body with, like, that was the heaviest I've ever been. And I was, like, a good probably like almost 10 kilos overweight so I really got to a point where I was like okay no I need to do something about it and there is like pressure in this industry as you know to look kind of healthy at least um like I don't believe that dietitians have to look a certain way but at that time I did um and I also had some health issues that were really bothering me like I was I, was, I had acne that I was still struggling with and anxiety and IBS and I kind of felt that maybe the way I was eating was making all those things worse. Um, looking back on it, I don't think so. I think my mental health was just really not good. It was like my first year in the working world. I was working at a huge public hospital. There was so much pressure. Um, so that's actually what got me... the plant-based direction was at that point I started going plant-based and it was honestly it was mostly to lose weight um and the thing that I think was good about it which I didn't realize at the time was like all the information I was coming across from like the plant-based community was they were basically saying like you know on a plant-based diet just eat as much as you want until you're full And you don't, like kind of like what you were saying, like just eat until you're satiated, and you don't need to like count calories or count macros or anything like that. And I'd never done that, like I'd never done a diet where it was like almost like a food freedom kind of diet. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna try this. This sounds good. And it was honestly the only diet I could have done in that headspace because when I was unhappy with my weight, I did try to go back to old meal plans, and I tried to make myself a meal plan, and I tried to to paleo Like there were weird things that I was trying and nothing was working for me like psychologically because restriction was not working for me. I was not prepared to. I had come from like being restricted my whole life and I was not prepared to go back there. So I was prepared to like just be plant based though because I love plant based food and just like eat all the plant based food that I want. And so I was like, <laughs> cool, I'll try that. That um, sounds fun. So Yeah. Many options. <laughs> so I did it and I did lose a lot of weight um but again like I don't think I think basically you know it's not the answer for everyone I think plant-based eating did just work well for my body I did eat a more restrictive plant-based diet because I was trying to eat like only whole foods which I don't currently do anymore I like eat anything that's vegan right now (laughs) but um I think like yeah what was really helpful for me was just like not feeling restricted in terms of the volume that I could eat like just eating as much as I wanted until I was full eating huge quantities of food and then still losing weight Um, and that was like the only reason I was able to like lose weight but also like it was like I was losing weight but not in a triggering way like not in an overly restrictive way so yeah so that's that was like six years ago probably and since then I think I've just been like learning while I've been working in private practice with helping other people lose weight learning so much about like the psychology around around food and around body image and weight loss and Realising there's like so much more to it than what we learn at university, you know?
1: Or what we get exposed to. Yeah. Which is the main topic for today, which I feel like we can roll into now. Yeah. Which is diet culture. Yeah. So give it to us. What is diet
2: culture? I think what isn't it? It's deep. I would love to look at like a formal definition, but I feel like Should we Google it? (laughs) For me, yeah, let's Google it. Let's Google. Um, oh, we'll, we can chat in between for me it's definitely kind of just it's a belief system that focuses on and values weight, shape and size over well-being well that's sounds <laughs> it up <laughs> variations of diet culture also include rigid eating patterns that on the surface are in the name of health but in reality are about weight, shape or size yeah, yeah. I feel like
1: that really does sum it up. Thanks, Google. You're a babe. <laughs> and what would you say has been the definition of a fad diet?
2: Um, so I guess, like, to me, yeah, to me, the definition of a fad diet is kind of a diet that Comes and goes. It's like a fashion kind of mm. thing. It's not something that's been around forever. Although what there are examples, many, like paleo, keto, yeah, keto, banting. I mean, so those, but those all fit into like a category of kind of like high fat, low carbs. So it's almost like they're the same theme, but they get given a new name and a new set of rules. And yes, um, but yeah, I think um, essentially, a fat diet is restriction. Yeah, it's a very restrictive diet. Usually, it's usually for weight loss, but sometimes under the guise of wellness or health. So sometimes, like you know, with keto, there's a lot of claims that it's it's best for aging or for cancer risk or whatever you it is. there science to
1: back it up.
2: Usually, well, that's part of the definition of a fad diet. Is there's just not sufficient science to really be telling people to do this diet, you know? So yeah, there might be a little like a clinical trial here or there about like rats who were restricted of carbohydrates and therefore like they got less cancer or something like that but Um, you can't really translate that to huge populations of humans following this diet. We're all by individuals like we're all so
1: different we're like a fingerprint in our guts how would we all relate to the same thing that a rat experienced Um, with the fad diets, I feel like I know your answer but I just would like to ask it anyway (laughs) So how do you feel about people giving um, advice on a certain way of eating without qualifications and coming up with their own form of eating?
2: Like their own fat diet? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Like Obviously, how do you know when to question
1: that a song isn't qualified?
2: Yeah. You know I mean? So I think firstly, like, Maybe this is just a general rule of thumb, but like, let's think about what would like motivate someone to come up with a fair diet. And obviously, at the end of the day, it's money, right? Yeah. Like, there's huge money to be made in the diet industry, and in the weight loss industry. So, you got to think like, if you're following someone on social media and they're promoting a diet, are they making money of promoting that diet? Are they
1: um, selling something that yeah. essentially gives them monetary gain?
2: Yeah, like if they're selling an ebook or. I don't know, a program or whatever it is. Um, even, like, supplements that go along with a diet, something like that. Yeah,
1: i see a lot of that recently, actually.
2: Yeah, so sometimes it's kind of, like, more hidden, but it's still, at the end of the day, like, you know, with keto, like, sometimes people will actually sell just keto supplements or, like, keto meal kits or, and things yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. but they're basically still promoting a keto diet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess if anyone's trying to make money off of you... It's good to question. It's good to question what and why. Um, and and I, I think qualifications are important when, when giving diet advice. Um, not, I'm not saying that everyone who has a qualification is giving good advice, because that's not true. Um, but that's just one of the first things that I would check, is like yeah. if you are following someone who's just basing things on like a personal opinion... Or A personal experience with their body or their yes. health. I think it is good to question it. Yeah, that's really not a good enough reason to advise other people to do the same. And I mean,
1: that obviously is coming from, you know, their relationship with food and body image. Mm-hmm. So what does dieting do to our relationship with food and our body? Like,
2: yeah, I mean, there's so much to it, but I guess at the end of the day, when you're dieting, you're kind of saying that the way your body looks at the moment is not good enough, and you are consciously trying to change that through what you put in your mouth, you know? So I guess it really creates a lot of self-esteem issues and confidence issues with your relationship with your body, a lot of people shame their bodies a lot when they're dieting and that's actually a common thing in like diet cultures to be like like you know you'll go to a gym class and like the trainer will be like come on girls let's get oh, that don't even get me started. <laughs> like when it's actually one of my pet peeves also, like, I will Sun not. Sun is so, always yeah, or yeah, or something like that. let's get those bikini bodies going.
1: <laughs> or, like, burn off that burger you had or yeah. let's use those burgers for good or something yeah. like that. Like, oh, man, no. yeah. No, heard, even, even now, in lockdown, yeah. on some of the live workouts, I've heard the diet talk and I'm like, it's
2: 2020, yeah It's not
1: okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Why are we still doing this?
2: Yeah. Anyway, I like mean, current. just you basically just openly shaming yeah. people's bodies while they're so vulnerable, like sweating on the ground, yeah. like
1: already dying. If if, if they're not <laughs> fit, like I'm just generalizing here. Yeah.
2: So I guess I guess that's what it does to your relationship yeah. with yourself and your body. And I mean, it goes so much deeper. Like it literally. I think there are so many people that literally hate their bodies or that feel so ashamed of their bodies and feel so uncomfortable in their own skin that they, like, literally want to escape their own skin, you know? Mm. I mean, that's the extreme of it. Um, And then in terms of your relationship with food, like, that's the part that really interests me and that I see so much in my patients is just as soon as you... Well, as soon as you feel restricted, you actually... You're more prone to binging. And... This is my debate
1: on fasting, just by the yeah, way. Yes, for sure. Like, recently I um, was in a conversation with a doctor that prescribed a friend of mine a 20-hour fast as a woman. Sure. And I just, I'm like, there's so much science backing that up that ain't going to work. And she's even experiencing these... Excessive binge episodes afterwards, and I feel like that's your body's way of saying this is not working. Mm. And also, from my understanding, most of the fasting research has been done on men and written by men, not based on women and how our hormones function completely yeah, differently. For sure,
2: and a lot I mean. of medical research is just so sexist, you know, like even BMI yeah. is sexist because was done and racist it was like a lot of the bmi research was done on white men so women clearly have higher bmis than men yeah (laughs) like hello we're completely different um so to kind of say that all like men and women and all races should fit into this bmi category is just a little bit crazy um when the research isn't there for for all those kind of different populations um but yeah there's actually been there was like a study done a long time ago when these things were considered legal where they, <laughs> they took people and they like locked them up it's called like a ward study so they lock oh, them up yes. in a hospital and um they fed them like 800 calories a day which is basically it's enough to live but it's starvation calories it's like what people in concentration camps were fed and they just, like, watched the psychological effects on these yes, people. Yes, I read that one. I think it's actually even been documented. Yeah. It, I think, yeah, I think... They, it's super interesting, but these people went... Like, they basically developed... And then their
1: recovery afterwards, don't they also document that? And, like, how... Yeah. Like, what they did as soon as they could eat. Yeah. And how their mental and physical self... Reacted to it. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. that. was actually yeah.
2: yeah. and it's interesting in the in the research around like eating disorders because what they found is that these people their behaviors were very similar to people with eating disorders, yes. even though it wasn't yeah. like it was a physical like so the physical restriction and the physical um, deprivation of calories made their brains obsess over food yes. yeah. and obsess over. Like, what they wanted to eat. Like, they like they were, like, hoarding recipes and... Yes, and it
1: wasn't the one... I, no, I don't want to say... but I think one was, like, drawing food. Yeah. And I think the one was, like, dreaming of it all the time. Yeah. And it just became, like, their everything. Yeah. And I think that came into our earlier conversation when I was saying that once I had allowed myself that food freedom, I could focus on so much more, like, mm-hmm. getting in more work. And the abundance of food actually allowed me the abundance for life. yeah. But it's that acceptance of, like, what comes with that and letting go of the control around that. Um, And at the end of the day... very fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think, like, what people just have to understand is that the body is built for survival and it's built to maintain homeostasis. Like, it wants to just maintain... Um... (laughs) so yeah your body is built for survival and it's built to maintain homeostasis so it just wants to maintain like whatever your current weight is your body's trying to maintain that all the time because any fluctuations your body sees as a risk you know so, so like a set weight essentially. Yeah. How everyone's set weight would be. We it's called that. a set point mechanism. Yeah. So, everyone has like a set point mechanism. It can change over time, but your body like has this thing of like, this is what your weight is. And if you eat less calories than that, your body still tries to keep you at that weight somehow. And if you eat more calories, it also still tries to keep you at that weight somehow. So, like, what your body will do if you deprive yourself of calories, it'll be like, okay, I'm not getting enough energy to stay at my current weight, let me drive up hunger, <laughs> you know, like, it will basically make you, it will increase your appetite-stimulating hormones, so it will make you think about food more, it will make you want food more, it will make you Is that look leptin? for food more. What's
1: leptin? i always read like that and I'm like...
2: Honestly, I have to get, I have to check because there's leptin and ghrelin, and I always get confused. As well, yeah. But basically,
1: they're the ones that talk to each other. And yeah, so the to ones be like tell you you're hungry yes. or you're not hungry.
2: Exactly. <laughs> the one stimulates your appetite, and the other one like suppresses your appetite. Yes. I think leptin's the appetite suppressing one, and ghrelin's like the hungry one. Well, yeah, it's like ghrelin. Like, like yeah.
0: ah.
1: <laughs> I'm the same like that when
2: I try to remember things. Um, <laughs> Like leptin's the one that's supposed to be like good for weight loss, you know. Because if you're producing enough leptin, then you don't but get like, I'm sure hungry. But yeah. i like
1: produce more, of either there
2: would be some kind yeah. of effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess that goes into like why diets don't work. Like why mm-hmm. don't they work? What does mm-hmm. the science actually say behind that? Yeah. So, um, diets don't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <fine>. Like <laughs> the what the science shows is that. Diets work in the short term, not in the long term. So people do lose weight, but at like two-year follow-up, so after two years of having done a diet, most people are back at their original weight or even higher. Um, And that's just because, yeah, the body kind of has these regulatory mechanisms. It tries to keep you at the same weight. If you deprive it of calories for a short amount of time and lose weight, you'll lose weight for that short amount of time. And then your body will drive up your uh, ghrelin and you will just get you know hungrier and eat more and get back to your original weight so and I see it all the time in my practice like I just see that basically like following restrictive diets does not work it makes people hungrier it makes people more obsessed with food it makes people have cravings it makes people binge and in the long run it just destroys your relationship with food and your body and does not actually end up helping your weight you know
1: And I feel like most importantly, your mental states. Yeah. And food is pleasure and you deserve pleasure. That was actually one of the things. I speak very openly about therapy because I'm a huge advocate for it. And I got to the point in my, I I will say recovery, with just my my way of seeing food. And I said to her, I'm like, it's so weird. Like I'm in this space now where I'm eating with no guilt. I'm eating way more than I thought I ever would. Mm -hmm. And I just find that really interesting. And she goes, well, have you ever thought of the, the the fact that food is pleasure? And that maybe you're getting to a point in your maturity where you are more accepting that you deserve pleasure. And maybe that's why you are more allowing of that space to be filled mm-hmm. within you. And I was like, what a beautiful way to
2: look at food. Like, yeah. it doesn't just, yes, some
1: people see it as just like fuel, but... It can be a source of pleasure and you are deserving of it. Yeah. Um, and I just, that always stuck with me. I was like, what a beautiful, beautiful sure. way to see
2: it. I also think, I think that, you know, being so obsessed with dieting and your weight, okay, besides affecting your mental health, it affects like just how much space you have in your life for other things. Yeah. Like if you are just constantly obsessing, about your weight, about your what you're eating. You literally don't have the time or the energy to like devote to I don't know, your family, your loved ones, your career, oh, yeah, yourself yeah. like you know, like think about all that time if you just look back at your life and all the time you spent, you know, worrying about food and worrying about your weight and worrying about what you're eating and, you know, like and if you could have taken all those hours and devoted them to something worthwhile, that's going to develop you as a person. Yeah, like where would you be today? You know. Or um, well, where can you go? Yes.
1: Yeah. Um. I mean, I was listening to a podcast that actually spoke about this two days ago, and she actually brought up the fact that when she was in the depth of her eating disorder, she. Um, realized that when she was out of it how much of an ego thing it was and how she was not thinking how of the bigger picture basically mm-hmm. like what services can I actually give the world how can I help the world instead of how can I just look and I was yeah. like yeah and then it goes into the point of what you said like there's so much more you can give to everything around you mm-hmm. when those hours can be put to like or just put somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to say the better use, but like, yeah. just put somewhere
2: else. Well, you realise that you know, I guess, and this is a big part of diet culture is it really does make us think that our worth is all in how we look. You know, like yeah. everyone, will, the world will only value you if you look a certain way, and people will only respect you and take you seriously if you look a certain way. Um, or you'll only be loved if you look a certain way. Or you'll only find a boyfriend if you look... You know, these are things we tell women from a young age. Um, so just realising that actually your values are in so much more than how you look. And yeah. you can kind of value other things in life and in yourself. And hopefully value them more than how you look. Like, that's just huge.
1: <laughs> it's a big realisation. Again... Yeah. Just, I guess, everyone's time frame of getting there who maybe struggle with it is different. Okay, so we're going to pop on to just some more topics. And I think it would be interesting, still on the same conversation, but just on the cutting out of food groups mm-hmm. and basically how that restriction can affect one's health. So, I think we did touch on it when we spoke about the different kinds of fad diets, mm-hmm. but maybe that's just like focus on that in itself a little bit like the yeah. diets.
2: I think, you know, actually when we were talking about doing this episode, we were talking about just like debunking fad diets, right? Yeah. We were like, "Oh, let's debunk keto and let's be debunk I don't know, fruitarian or whatever it is." Um, and then we kind of thought like well at the end of the day none of those diets are good for you from a mental perspective like let's just speak about diet culture and let's just speak about why you know focusing so much on your weight and trying to change your weight is not good for you and we decided not to go through each little diet Um, but I think it's still important to kind of just say that you know if a diet is restrictive in terms of either it restricts calories, it restricts portion sizes, or it cuts out major food groups, then obviously that diet has major effects on your like mental health and your relationship with food, but it can also have effects on your physical health and you know a balanced diet is really important and I can tell you that every diet, every fad diet that I've looked at, I can see huge flaws in how it like meets nutritional requirements like there either isn't enough you know protein or fats or um, nutrients, vitamins, minerals a lot of the low carb diets have, don't have enough fiber they don't have enough vitamins and minerals in them um, they don't have enough antioxidants in them because they actually restrict the amount of fruits and vegetables people eat so I think I just want to make that clear that like none of these diets are actually good for you no matter what they claim Um, They might claim that it cures cancer Or it, I don't know Prevents Diabetes or something like that But at the end of the day If you're not getting a balanced diet in You're not getting all your nutrients in And you can develop nutrient deficiencies And um, that can affect all aspects of your life And it can affect your disease risk And things like that So, I mean I'm
1: a byproduct of that So 100% Advocate for the fact that it can definitely affect your health if you restrict, even if you think you're doing something right for yourself, Mm -hmm. and that falls in very smoothly into orthorexia, Mm -hmm. which I think people have. um, It's a very nuanced, I think, word within the wellness world. I remember hearing about it maybe two years ago, yeah, maybe even less, a year and a half. Um, So orthorexia, to my understanding, is the it's clean, cleany too, mm-hmm. for a lack like a, to put it into like the most dense form. Um, so I thought we could maybe debunk and or just dig a little deeper into like orthorexia, food phobias, fear mongering, especially on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally mute all of those, and I just follow educational professional advice, and I share that on my profile. But I do know there is a lot out there. Yeah, a lot
2: so i guess like in my mind orthorexia is it's an eating disorder and it's not a lot of people with orthorexia are motivated by like body image but a lot of people are just motivated by health and orthore- orthorexia is just an obsession with eating foods that are considered like clean or natural or non-toxic um yeah and they obsess to the point that they're like You know, cut out tons of foods, only eat foods that are maybe organic, that are from certain shops, they won't eat at restaurants. Um, So, a lot of people with eating disorders, you know, say anorexia, for example, also have orthorexia on top of it, and a lot of people don't. There are a lot of people with anorexia that will eat McDonald's and don't mind as long as it's within their calorie intake for the day. Um, So, it often goes along with other eating disorders, but it is an eating disorder in itself and people who have orthorexia aren't necessarily underweight um, and often just appear to be people that are very health conscious conscious, it can appear very normal and I think on social media it's so rampant like I think so many people display signs of orthorexia on social media and everyone just thinks that's normal and
1: I think there's also slight glorification around it so if someone sees someone Eating well, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're so inspirational! Yeah, oh my gosh, well done! Yeah, when why is that even being congratulated? It's food, yes, you know what I mean.
2: And food is not just about health, like you said, like food is about happiness and fun and enjoyment and nostalgia. Like, there's so much beauty in food
1: if you allow
2: yourself. So, for people to put food down to like ingredients or chemicals or whatever they like you know want to put it down to is kind of missing a lot of the points of the role food plays um food even plays like a huge social role in our lives like it brings us together we congregate around food so yeah I guess in terms of I want to speak a little bit about like the fear-mongering that goes on on social media because that's something that bothers me so much is you know people making these crazy statements You know, for example, you know, telling their followers, like, how bad gluten is for them and all the bad things gluten is going to do in their body. And um, people believe these things, even though the people saying them often have no qualifications. um, You know, fear mongering is so powerful that a lot of people will believe it and cut out food groups just based on that the number one rule I have when it comes to fear-mongering on social media is if someone's telling you that a food is going to do something scary to you, 100% guaranteed it's not true. Yeah. Like, if someone's like, this food will cause cancer or this food is why people are obese or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean... If anyone's out there telling you, I see all these like photos going around on Instagram where it's like a food, and then it's like as bad as smoking cigarettes. Or, oh, no. You know, um,
1: you can't really compare the two. No, one's a food and one's
0: a cigarette.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and you also can't compare the two in terms of like rate of disease because you know smoking is the like risk that it increases your risk of lung cancer too is huge so yeah like eating for example eating processed meat I think it increases your risk of colon cancer by like 30% which sounds like a huge amount but when you actually do the stats like how many people get colon cancer yeah and then put 30% more on that it's not like a huge amount of more people Um, but smoking is something like 70% increased risk or
1: yeah, you so know, it can't be compared. It's,
2: it's a different risk ratio. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so you can't compare it and I guess just at the end of the day it comes back to the
1: the, the, the number one rule is getting your advice or well, getting your facts from a qualified source.
2: Yes, although I do see I see a lot of doctors on social media sharing like, a lot of fear-mongering and oh, really? talking about clean eating and talking about the dangers of pesticides. So and how do
1: you decide for these days?
2: I just think, like, you know, well, firstly, you know, doctors aren't always well-qualified in nutrition and they're good doctors and bad doctors. They're good dietitians and bad dietitians. So you can't just think, well, because someone's got a qualification, they're really giving ethical and accurate advice. Um, but I think, like at the end of the day you know when it comes to food the poisons and the dosage so you can't get sick from small amounts of whatever toxins or whatever it is in food that you're scared of if you eat small amounts it cannot make you sick um so anyone like who's promoting fear around food i feel like it's just making the world a more fearful and negative place like do you need that energy in your life, you know? So I always just tell people, like, if there's a social media account that you follow that makes you feel scared of certain foods or is telling you to cut out certain foods, don't follow it. They're not giving you good advice. Um, So, yeah, like, fear-mongering is never positive. It's never a good thing to be putting out there, even if it's about coronavirus, it's about vaccines, whatever it's about, like do we want to be motivating people through fear? Like, yeah. Is that what health information should be? Or or any kind of growth. Yeah. I've never
1: found growth in fear. Yeah, I've found stagnation in fear, but never growing and learning. Um, so, yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree. And I guess that now leads to, like, what now? Like <laughs> moving forward, if one was to let go of diet culture, into food freedom, and intuitive eating, and body kindness, like, How do we get
2: there? Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's a big journey, but I'm a big fan of intuitive eating, like for people that want to, to just let go of fears around food and rules around food and, you know, trying to control how much they eat and what they weigh and things like that. I think intuitive eating is the place to start. And there's so many great books out there on intuitive eating philosophies and it's we haven't like used the word intuitive eating since we've been talking, but that's basically what like both of us have done in a way. It's just like you basically just eat when you're hungry and you eat till you're full and you listen to your body and you honour your body and you trust that your body will guide you to eat as much as you need and yeah. not more, not less, you know?
1: And I know that that could be quite scary for a lot of people to yeah. dive into the intuitive eating wrong. But I think that's when you go to a professional and you kind of have them guide you. If you feel like that's the way you want to go, but you and yourself maybe don't trust yourself. I think Mm -hmm. that's where it comes down to is you feel like you can't trust yourself to just do what you think you need. Because maybe you're so out of tune with those calls and those signals and maybe you you actually don't even have them really. They're so misleading. That's when you go to a professional and you have them hold your hand or you get... Someone who's professional to maybe give you credible sources to read and watch and listen to and do it in bite sizes. No pun intended. Um, in like understanding yeah. you because your intuitive patterns and eat and way of being is gonna be so different to someone else's. Yeah. Um, maybe yours is like yours like following a a plant based diet like that intuitively felt right it feels good for you now for me it was incorporating eggs and dairy back into my Mm -hmm. um, into my eating and even meat every like once a week or so and that feels good to me but I never try and like force myself to
2: have it every day because Mm -hmm. I think that's what is best for me Mm -hmm. in that moment Um, I also think that is yeah you know intuitive eating is a journey and it's hard and I think one of the scariest things for people when they let go of dieting is the fear of gaining weight like they're kind of people don't realise or yeah the big realisation that you have to get to is that like you don't need someone else to tell you what to eat you don't need a diet book, you don't need a doctor you don't need a dietitian to tell you what to eat, what not to eat and how much of things to eat because your body has like your body is infinitely wise and it has its own regulatory mechanisms and it knows how much food you need (laughs) and um, you need to let go of, I guess, like the idea of control around all of that and the idea of controlling weight too. Um, But inevitably, I don't find that people gain weight when they intuitively eat, unless they needed to gain weight if they were underweight. Mm -hmm. But I don't find that, you know, people just like maybe initially when you allow yourself to eat the things that you haven't eaten in a while you actually overeat a bit and yeah then you gain weight but then everything kind regulates itself and sits so back down. Mean, you are
1: a, a example of yeah
2: um, but let's say
1: you need to lose weight for health reasons mm-hmm. um, I mean I don't know if that falls into intuitive eating but maybe just the topic in itself yeah um, and maybe the benefit you know, of a lifestyle approach for weight
2: loss. Um yeah. So I think I think if you need to lose weight for health reasons, firstly you can lose weight following an intuitive eating approach. But I would just say whatever your approach is, don't go and follow a restrictive diet, don't go and follow a fad diet because whatever results you get out of that is going to be short-lived and it's not going to be a long-term answer to your health problems anyway um so if you're doing this for your health you have to do something that is sustainable that you're going to stay healthy in the long run and um yeah my preferred approach is like a lifestyle approach which is kind of like small incremental changes to the way you live your life so maybe it's something like moving a bit more often and starting just with that maybe it's kind of increasing your fruit and vegetable intake over time maybe it's um, starting to eat more whole grains as opposed to refined grain products um, so they're little things like that or drinking more water or yeah looking after your mental health whatever it is I think um, it's better to do things in a slow like incremental approach and basically build habits and build healthy habits and Within you know, a year or two, eventually you're living a healthier lifestyle without having to go and follow some crazy diet. I feel like this also
1: falls into picking up weight though. Mm-hmm. I feel like or or increasing your calorie intake because sometimes, like losing weight, putting on weight can be scary. Yeah. Um, having maybe food as a source of comfort or not having food as a source of comfort I feel like they both kind of fall into the same role so for me it was going back to foods that had been maybe demonised in the past and that also had to be slow Mm -hmm. if I did that all at once I would freak myself out so I actually I mean maybe it works differently for other people some people maybe got all in but for me I found it really beneficial because I wanted to have a sustainable healthy relationship with food and I was like okay cool like this month I'm going to introduce this and I'm going to see if it actually did affect my body did it was it really like we were talking about with orthorexia was it really that bad or was it just something that the media taught me was bad and I believed it let me actually sit and intuitively like write down if there was any effect I can tell you now the one thing that does affect me is overload of a sweetener Mm I have I will fart for 10 hours I honestly will fart for 10 hours and like that is fact Luke can prove it but other than that
2: most things have only aided yeah um, but yeah and also again like most things you have in moderation you have them in a small amounts so even if they weren't the best thing in the world for your body or say like they do have some refined ingredients or some added sugar or whatever it is that people worry about or pesticides or something like that you're having them in small amounts in the context of an otherwise really balanced, healthy diet. So like is it going to really affect your health? No. And also how in your body. Yeah. Your body's badass. It can do some really cool things. Yeah. <laughs> our bodies are our bodies are really, really resilient, you know. Like they can <laughs> my husband always says, humans are like cockroaches. We can like survive anything. <laughs> we survive like nuclear wars, you know. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, you can handle a little bit of pesticides and stuff like that. We have working detox mechanisms and our I also
1: saw this, um, uh, There was someone who wrote something short about the, the the difference, actually, between organic and non-organic. And that in itself is so minuscule, the mm-hmm. difference of pesticides. Mm-hmm. They both still have. And it's mm-hmm. just the amount of which is on
2: Yes. And, and, like, the source of the pesticide, yes. and like that. But, yeah, there have been reports of organic produce going way over the recommended amount of pesticides um, when it's when they take like random organic produce and they, they test it in labs sometimes it's got more pesticides than is safe um, and organic can be less regulated than non-organic yeah. there's no nutrition difference in organic produce actually people believe like oh if it's organic it must have more nutrients or the soil must be must be better but that's not always true organic farming can be the same, the same. Um, Just they just use natural pesticides they use pesticides of natural origins so yeah I think like also what's come out of like all our discussions actually is just in terms of intuitive eating and things like that is just being kind to your body and giving your body what it needs and I think that comes into like Things like we spoke about, you know, with periods, like resting when you're PMS or eating more when you're hungry, when you're ovulating, or um, yeah, exercising less at certain times of your cycle, or yeah, when you're tired or when your immune system is low. So supplementing correctly, they all go hand in hand. (laughs) Exactly, and at the end of the day, dieting is like punishment to your body, and it's not a way of showing your body kindness or love or acceptance. Um, and I think it's still valid. Like some people definitely still want to work on their bodies and want to change their bodies, but you don't have to do that in such a harsh way. You know, you don't have to punish your body into submission. Yeah, and I, like,
1: I like that. That's a nice way of... And at the end
2: goes. of the day, it's, it's not going to leave you feeling good or healthy when you do that.
1: And to end off, this is actually something that I said to my one friend when she was having a bad day with her self image, and I just said to her, not that it matters, but no one ever remembered someone because they're the skinny. Mm-hmm. They remember you because how you made them feel, and at the end of the day, like that's all it is. Like you want your loved ones, and you want to remember your loved ones of how they made you feel and the experiences you had with them, and. I think, like you said, food ties so much into that, that if we deny ourselves that, we deny ourselves so much and make so much experiences from life. So, yeah, I think that's, that's it for today. Um, it's quite a long episode. Well done if you've made it this far. Uh, if you have any questions, you're more than welcome to pop us comments, um, a review. We'll get back to it. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in and be kind to yourself. Bye.